Well, grab your Bible this morning or turn it on, whichever you do. Which do you do? How many turn it on? I'm, I'm doing that this morning. I'm turning mine on. So, uh, but I like my paper Bible too. So turn on your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2 or open it to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to study a, a pretty big section this morning, and I'm going to try to make sense of a lot of really cool stuff. But let me begin with the story. During World War II, one of the things that Hitler did to try to control everything that he needed to control was that he forced all of the churches to come together under one religious leader. Now, his point was he needed to control the church. And he needed to control the church because it was primarily the church that was against him. <laughs> and so it was interesting. In one of the denominations, the Brethren denomination, about half of the denomination complied and went along with Hitler. The other half of the denomination did not comply. In fact, they refused to comply. And those who went along with the order, as you could imagine, during the wartime, their lives were much easier. But those who did not and refused to see Hitler as their leader and refused to be a part of what Hitler was doing, they faced harsh persecution. In fact, almost every single family in the Brethren denomination that chose not to support Hitler saw one of their family members die in a concentration camp. It was a very difficult time. Now, when the war was over and everybody started to put the pieces back together, the Brethren denomination faced a very, very challenging future because half chose to go with Hitler and half chose not to. And so the feelings of bitterness and anger and rage were very, very deep between these two groups. And there was lots of tension and there was no unity whatsoever. Finally, they decided that the situation and their denomination needed serious healing. So the leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat. And for several days, each leader spent time in prayer without saying one word to each other. Then... They came back together. Francis Schaefer, who told of the incident, asked a friend who was there, what did you do then? And the friend said, well, we were just one. As we confessed our hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among us. Love filled our hearts and dissolved our hatred. See, when love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable fact that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. Today, as we study a very, very powerful section in Ephesians chapter 2 through chapter 3, verse 13, the primary theme of this section of verses is the unity that the church of Jesus Christ is meant to have with one another. This unity is for our own benefit. This unity is for the benefit of Christ. But this unity is also for the benefit of the world to see Jesus in us. And so I want us to discover this morning 
That perfect unity is God's plan for his people. See, Jesus knew after he would leave that his followers were going to move into an amazing future, but that future had to be unified. Love and peace were the standards of the new kingdom that Jesus preached and lived out, and now he was asking his followers to live out that love and peace. And Jesus asked us to do the same thing today. But without true unity, the power of the gospel falls apart. Let me repeat that. Without true unity, the power of the gospel falls apart. See, we must represent the power of Jesus' life in us that gives us the strength to love and accept and forgive, especially those who have hurt us deeply. The message of the cross is that all people are now one in Christ. Therefore, without unity, the church of Jesus Christ has no message. If the message is that we're unified in Christ and we're not unified, then there's no message. So unity becomes extremely important when you look at it in the context of God's word and what Jesus has for us. So let me read what is a pretty good chunk here this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. And while we read and while you follow along on the screen or in your own version or in your own Bible, would you just notice with me all of the unifying words? Notice with me all of the ways that Paul is trying to talk about us being unified together as believers in Christ. Verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made for them. You lived in this world without God, and without hope. But there it is again. That word, that huge theological word, the word, but. But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body, on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And then into chapter three, verse one. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news... Share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mystery plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in all its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here, for I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. I love what verse 11 says about unity. This was his eternal plan. God's plan all along has been for us as humanity to be unified, to love, accept, and forgive one another, not hate and create wars and figure out ways that we're different and be mad about that. That's not God's plan. His eternal plan has been for us to be unified. And one of the verses that I think kind of sums up all of this section is verse six in chapter three. And so I'm going to ask us to look more closely at that verse throughout the rest of our morning because it sums up this great big idea of unity and this unity that we have in particular in Christ. Because we are in Christ, because we have relationship with Christ, we are called to be in unity with one another. So verse 6 says this, and this is God's plan. Here's God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promised blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. This is God's plan. God's plan is that there would be one 
people. Now we call this unity. And what God really means by this is that we should have meaningful relationships in Jesus and that that's God's plan. Meaningful relationship our entire lives. No hatred among his people for others is God's plan. Forgiveness flowing freely is God's plan. Love and living on a foundation of love is God's plan. Now in particular, who does God's plan apply to? Well, it's interesting, at the very beginning of the verse, it tells us who God's plan applies to. It applies to Gentiles and Jews who believe. There's that word again. <laughs> we keep running into this word every single time we look in Scripture. That's why we're asking this big question all this year. What do I believe? We keep running into this word everywhere we look. The you and I are called as humanity to believe in God. And in particular, what should we believe as followers of Jesus according to these verses? That God has a plan. And God's plan is that we would be unified as God's people. Now that's a nice little Christian phrase tied up in a pretty little bow. What does it really mean? What does it really mean to be unified. Well, let's try. Would you close your eyes with me just for a sec? And we'll talk about what unity means. Close your eyes with me just for a moment, and I want you to think about someone you're angry with right now. <laughs> they could be in the church or out of the church. And now you can open your eyes. Unity means you choose not to be angry with that person anymore. <laughs> I just tricked you, didn't I? That's what unity means. It means whoever that person is and whatever they've done is worthy of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and worthy of your forgiveness. And maybe that person hurt you a lot. Maybe there's some abuse involved. Maybe there were bad words used. Maybe there were actions that were severe. Hopefully someone wasn't killed like the Christians that endured Hitler's wrath, but the church picked up the pieces and moved on in Christ. Now, whoever that person is, Jesus can help you forgive them. And you'll never really experience true freedom in your heart and in your mind until you forgive them. Because unity requires forgiveness. Unity means the people you hate, Jesus wants you to love. It means you forgive those who have hurt you. It means that the family of believers that we do life with together are very special relationships that we've made in the church. And they're not ordinary relationships, they're rooted in Christ. And so these relationships are deep. And these relationships, by the way, are eternal. So if we say, well, I don't like that person anymore. I'm just going to switch churches. That doesn't solve anything. Because you're going to have to live with that person for eternity. <laughs> you're going to run into that person a lot in heaven. And so Jesus says, start the process now of learning how to forgive, even in the middle of your pain. 
See, unity means we choose to love. And, and the key here might be that we have to choose. Yes, we have to choose to love because there are some people that are easier to love than others, right? Like every single time somebody walks in this room with a Seahawks jersey on, I have to choose to love in that moment, right? I have to. Same thing, Same thing with you, yeah. But I don't wear my jerseys on Sunday. It's, it's just you. So I'm choosing to love. It's easier for you. <laughs> See, you'll have to choose to love. Because your flesh will always tell you what? To hate. Our flesh will always tell us to disagree. Our flesh always wants us to hold on to a grudge, a grievance, our pain. That's what our flesh says. Unity in Jesus means we come together at the cross where we all receive forgiveness of our sin and find perfect unity in the presence of God Almighty. Unity is a powerful form of freedom that requires forgiveness. Now, verse 6 tells us specifically three things that are a part of God's unity for the people of Christ when we enter into this idea and enter into this way of living. The first one is that we share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. So what Paul says is all of us together, Jews and Gentiles alike, every single one of us will share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Now, I love the way this starts because the words used here are very unifying words. They're the words share and the word equally. <laughs> Neither of those words uh, are about individuality because <laughs> if you're going to share, it requires other people to be around. And equally means that there are other people around as well, and you have to learn to get along and to get to do things together. So it's a strong phrase that is promoting unity and the oneness of God's people. See, in God's kingdom, no one is better than anyone else. There's equality. There's no special status. There's no special distinction in regard to race or gender Everyone is equal. Now, how is this perfect equality possible? Through Christ. In Christ. Because it's not about who we are, it's about who Jesus is in us. And when our lives are about Christ and who Jesus is, we are all looking to Jesus all the time. And Jesus becomes the great equalizer of his people. See, Jews and Gentiles alike have one thing in common. We are dead in our sins, but we are forgiven in Christ. So that means we all have this very, very similar thing that is happening in our lives. It's something we choose. Because we love God and because we have been forgiven by Christ, we choose to live in the equality that Jesus has given us. Jesus makes us all equal through his blood that forgives each of us of our sins. So the playing field is level because it's about Jesus' forgiveness, not our works. The equality is there because it's about his grace, not following the law, as Paul said, because Jesus took care of the law and its circumstances, and we can all be equal under Christ. 
And the word share requires that other people are involved in the process. You don't share things when you're alone, right? That's why I like eating ice cream by myself. (laughs) I don't want to share it. I don't want Kate to come in the room and go, oh, hey, can I have some? Nah, I wanted this all for myself. But that's not how forgiveness works, amen? amen? The forgiveness of Jesus is not meant to be hogged. It's not meant for ourselves, it's meant for everyone. And so we are called to share equally because we are in Christ together. Now, in particular, Paul says this, we're gonna share equally in something. And the something we're gonna share equally in is an inheritance. This is where it gets even deeper. Because the words used here also denote relationship in the family of God. The thing that we are sharing equally together are riches that are inherited by God's children. So now what Paul is doing is he's he's taking our mind to a radical shift because now he's saying not only will you share equally, but you're also all in the same family. You're you're all in the same family. And at at first, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, hold on a second. How can Jews and Gentiles be in the same family? That's, that's not actually even possible. But what Paul is taking us to is this radical shift. Because Jews were taught that they were God's children because they were born Jewish and because they were part of the family tree of God. And so they always took an opportunity to tell Gentiles that they were less than because they were not the chosen people of God. And the Gentiles, they would have naturally thought that they were not part of God's family because they were not originally chosen by God. But what Paul does is he debunks that whole idea. He debunks that that whole thinking. And he says this, in Christ, we are all children of God and we're equal. In fact, we share equally. What Paul is saying is this, when you believed in Jesus as your savior, you inherited a new identity. You're now a child of God. You inherited a new family, the family of God. And in your new family, you are not united by human bloodlines. You're united by Christ's blood on the cross. And Christ's blood on the cross unites every single person who has believed in Jesus Christ. To help us understand this unity that we have in Christ, Paul says we will all share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Now that's good news because what it means is this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that, that in that time, at that time, first century, second century, inheritance was specifically designed for one person in particular the oldest boy in the family. It was very segregated. (laughs) Only the oldest boy in the family would get the family inheritance. Now, it was his obligation, and he was supposed to share it with the family. But in particular, he was set apart. And what Paul is saying is that's not how things work in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, every single blessing in Christ is yours because we all share equally because every single one of us has been adopted into the family and we are just like firstborn children. We all receive the inheritance together. 
And then secondly, Paul says this, we are part of the same body. We're part of the same body. In verse 16, Paul says this, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Now, Paul uses this illustration throughout a lot of his writings, a lot of his letters to the church. He uses this idea that the church of Jesus Christ is like one body. Now, Paul understands there are local churches that are springing up all over the Mediterranean. They're in Ephesus, and they're in Colossae, and they're in Philippi, and they're in Rome, and they're in Jerusalem. They're, they're in all the cities all throughout the Mediterranean. But he still calls all of us one body. So even though there are multiple local churches, multiple pastors leading those local churches, multiple leaders in those churches, together, as the people of Christ, we are one body. This is the illustration that Paul uses through all of his writings to talk about the church of Jesus Christ. There is one body made up of people that believe in God, have put their trust and their faith and their hope in Christ. And the body includes people as far back as creation and will end when Jesus creates a new heaven and a new earth. This body is everyone who believes in God. Every believer is a part of this body. Now, this is also strong language about unity and one, and one people. The point is we are one body. Not several bodies or several parts of bodies. The body works in perfect relationship with one another when it's healthy. <laughs> When it's not healthy, body doesn't work in unity. In fact, there are some diseases that even attack our own body, don't they? And so the body must be healthy. God's word encourages his people to be in relationship with one another. You can't live alone outside the body. We need each other. The children of God are designed to be in relationship with one another. An arm can't live independent of the body. It needs the body. We don't, we don't ever anywhere in our culture, in our society, just see an arm doing its own thing, grabbing its own coffee. You've never seen an arm drive up to Starbucks and order its own coffee and grab it out of the window. It can't do that, right? As soon as it's disconnected from the body, what happens? it starts to die. And guess what? It starts to stink. Starts to smell. Starts to look gross. It just, it becomes pretty nasty, in fact. It's pretty disgusting. And I would say the same thing can happen to us as believers when we disconnect ourselves from the local church. Yes. We kind of start to stink. I noticed quite a few during COVID on social media. It just stunk. There was a lot of stinking thinking I could see going on there. As thoughts were being thrown out and ideas were being, new ideas were being formed. See, a leg can't say, 
to the body or to any part of the body. Like the leg can't, or an arm can't say to the liver, I don't need you. I can live without you. The arm needs the liver. Our bodies don't work that way. Jesus' church doesn't work that way either. That's exactly what Paul is saying. And that's exactly why he uses this illustration over and over again throughout the New Testament. Because there were Christians at that time thinking, oh, I don't need to be a part of a local church. I can just serve Jesus on my own. It wasn't true then, and it's not true now. Every part of our body needs each other. You can't live without the body. God intended for his people to live together. Now, we have an, a recent example of the challenges with unity and how the body is meant to be together, right? It was, it was COVID. Because in COVID, we noticed a lot of disunity, didn't we? The church went through a time of fairly significant disunity. A new thinking seeped into the church. This thinking that I can serve Jesus without being a part of the local church. And that's not God's plan. God's plan is that we are doing life together in unity with one another. Now, will we have different thinking? Absolutely. But we come together in Christ. See, differences shouldn't separate the church. It should reveal the love of Christ that is in each of our hearts to live together, to be friends with one another, even though we have differences. That is a powerful message in our world. Unity is not thinking the same about every subject. It's choosing to love through our differences because the only thing we have the same is Jesus. That's unity. Perfect unity is God's plan for his people. Now, someone might be thinking what I'm thinking. Well, if that's true, Pastor Mark, how can we have so many different denominations? If unity is God's plan, how come we don't see that perfect unity working out? There's just so many different denominations. And that's a good question and probably a complicated answer, but I think the, the short answer is probably that God doesn't like that. I think probably if we're going to be really honest, the short answer is God would like us to be a lot more unified. God would like us to do things a lot more together. And that's why here in Cheney, we've, we've even endeavored to do that by doing church in the park with all the churches together. And um, we're hoping to get that started again next year. But one of the things that's interesting is that we see is that some denominations are birthed out of difference between people. And so there's a split and sometimes the split's for a good reason, but most of the time it's not. And then some denominations are just born out of a genuine move of God that didn't have anything to do with breaking away from another denomination at all. As an example, the denomination that we are a part of, Foursquare, our denomination happened that way. We didn't, we didn't break away from anyone. We weren't unhappy with the place we were at or its theology or the people that were there. And so we broke away. We, we just, it was just a sovereign move of God that happened. God just told Amy Simple McPherson to start preaching the word and praying for healing. And before she knew it, thousands and thousands of people were getting saved and getting healed. And God was doing something sovereign through her. She wasn't trying to break away from anything or to say she was different or, or to say, because I'm a woman, I need to do something different than the 
churches that have men in them. It wasn't anything like that. It's just something God told her to do and she just obeyed. And a church started. It's what God did. Now, I think it's important for us to remember something about denominations. Denominations don't unite us. Jesus does. So we also should not let denominations disunite us. See, every person who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior is united with everyone else who believes that Jesus is their Savior. Jesus must be the foundation. It can't be Jesus and someone else, or Jesus and our specific political agenda, or Jesus and our past heritage. It must be Jesus alone. And Jesus must unite us because Jesus saves us. And Jesus is who's coming back to rescue one people. See, we are all part of the same body, the body of Jesus Christ. And even though we have different local churches, we are called to be one with the people that are called to be Christians. So all of the Christians in Chini were called to be one together. We're called to be in friendship together. We're called to do life together, even though we might go to different local churches. The exact same thing was happening in the first century, and it's happening now. I think it's also important to remember, God's not going to ask us what, part of, what kind of denomination we are a part of when we get to heaven. He's not going to ask you, were you Catholic, or were you Protestant, or were you part of Genie Faith Center, or were you... Were you part of somewhere else? That's not what God's asking us. He's asking us about his son, Jesus, and what we did with him and how we lived with him. So hold fast to Jesus and very moderately to your denomination. Third, we enjoy the same promise of blessing in unity. See, in Christ, everyone gets the same promise of blessing. No one gets more blessing than others. Now, this was an important concept when the Jews and the Gentiles started to get together. Why? Because the Jews always said what? We're the blessed people of God, <laughs> right? So we're the ones that have always been living in God's blessing and uh, you're just Gentiles. Sorry about that. And Paul says, oh, wait a second. Hold on. That may be true in the past, but that's not true now. And that's not true in the future. What's true now is all of our blessings, Old Testament and New Testament, are, are found where? In Christ. And if I'm a Gentile in Christ, I get all that blessing, Old Testament and New. If I'm a Jew, I get all of that blessing because I'm in Christ. That's changed. Theologically and practically, all of the blessings that we know in the Old Testament and the New Testament all come into our life because of Jesus, because of the cross and the resurrection and the returning King Jesus. All of that is in our life, not because of some family heritage, but because we are in Christ, because we have chosen to believe in Jesus. So the promises are ours because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Now in the context of these verses, the blessings are profound. If you just look at the little section that we just talked about, that we just read, 
There are a lot of blessings in that little section. Look at them with me. The blessings are this in the context of just the verses alone. That we are included in Christ. We have citizenship in Christ. We are receivers of the covenant of God. We are full of hope. We are near to God. We have peace. There's one new people in unity. We are members of God's household. There's a place where God dwells that is for us. Grace is ours in Christ. And the ability to approach God with freedom and confidence is ours. Those are the blessings just in this small context of this section. That's amazing. And as we extend our theology outside of these verses, we know that there are tons of blessings like mercies that are new every morning and unconditional love and freedom from worry, forgiveness of sin, provision for this life and the next, heaven, that we are chosen by God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, physical, spiritual, and mental healing, spiritual gifts, protection from the enemy of our soul, holiness in Christ, God's eternal word to study and live by every day, and of course, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The blessings are endless. They just keep coming because that's who God is. And as long as we are in Christ, those blessings are ours. See, unity is the calling of every believer in Jesus. Therefore, love, forgiveness, and acceptance of our brothers and sisters in Christ and everyone in our life is our calling. See, unity and love in the church is crucial because when the world sees us hating one another, they don't see Jesus. They don't even want Jesus. When the world sees us hating one another on social media, what's the first thing they say? Why would I ever go to church? Why would I ever go to church? If that's what I see you do to one another, why would I want to show up there and be treated that way? If that's how you treat one another, I'm not going. So we're called to a higher standard. We're called to let the world see us at Cheney Faith Center and let's extend that to the churches that we live by, the churches in Cheney, the other believers in Cheney. They need to see us loving one another, especially in difficult times especially if they know that there's a disagreement between us, especially if they know there's a difference between us. Like even if we go to different churches, but we might work with someone and they see us in unity together all the time. Do you know how loudly that speaks about Jesus? Wait a second. I thought those two people went to different churches. Well, that doesn't matter. In Christ, we're brothers and sisters. And so those, this unity speaks very loudly for who Jesus is, and it's why we are called to be in unity with everyone. Let me end with a simple example. Snowflakes are one of God's awesome creations. But what's interesting about snowflakes is every single one is unique, it's individual, and it's fragile. No snowflake is exactly like another one, just like you and I are all different from one another. We're all unique 
in our own way. And God created us specifically and we're unique to him and to ourselves. Each snowflake is individually unique. But look at what they can do when they stick together. What happens when snowflakes stick stick together? Well, they make an iceberg. They create a giant skiing mountain. That's pretty fun in the winter, right? You can make a snowman. When snowballs stick together, they encourage what? A good snowball fight. They encourage a good snowball fight, and we all need that. We can make snow angels. And don't forget, when all of those snowflakes that are individual, when they all stick together, don't forget that they provide water for an entire summer so that you and I can grow food and have water to drink. That's all because individual snowflakes stuck together. So let me encourage us in the body of Christ. Let's stick together. Let's choose to forgive and love. Let's choose unity over hate. Let's choose to be in strong relationship with each other for Jesus' sake. This is what followers and believers of Jesus strive for and model to the world. This is what God's plan is. Perfect unity in Christ. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward and I'm just going to ask us to pray for a minute, but could we just bow our heads for a minute? And I just want to go back to one thing in particular. Not because I want to rub it in or because I want to drum up something, but I want to give each of us the opportunity to leave really understanding how important unity is and maybe even taking a step that requires you to be in unity with somebody that maybe you're in disunity with. Because that's where the rubber really meets the road. So earlier when I asked us to think about someone that you're angry with and that God really wants us to be in unity with that person, I just wanna, want us to close with that idea. That if there's someone in your life that you're still angry with. Maybe they did something or said something or are continuing to just be a difficult person. But you know you're called to live in unity with that person in the middle of the difference, in the middle of the hurt and the pain. You're called to give it to Jesus to confess it to him and to find healing at the foot of the cross. If that's where you're at this morning and there's just someone that is that for you and you would just like to leave it here and ask Jesus to forgive you for harboring that bitterness and that unforgiveness 
and help you move forward in freedom. Would you just be willing to just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I've got somebody like that in my life and and I want to move forward in unity with them. Just raise your hand where you're at. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Couple. Good. Anyone else? Okay. All right. Good. Let's pray. Jesus, in particular, I want to pray for those that have raised their hands that have just said, yeah, there's, there's somebody I'm angry with and I'm just having a hard time making it through. Having a hard time forgiving that person like you want me to. I'm having a hard time being in unity with that person. I'm even having a hard time being around this person at all. I want to pray first, Lord, that you would help each person just forgive. Pray for a powerful just a moment of forgiveness to come upon them right now in the name of Jesus. That they would confess that unforgiveness, that anger, that bitterness, that grudge. They would confess it to you. That they would receive your forgiveness and they would move forward in the forgiveness that Jesus has for them. Lord, I also wanna pray that you would give each person just a special love for that person. The same kind of love that you have for that person. Would you deposit it in them and in all of us? Would you deposit the love of Jesus, the unifying love of Christ in all of us that we might be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ? And help us, Lord, not to go about life in an individual way, but to notice that the body of Christ is incredibly important and we're meant to do life together. And for some, some of us that are introverts, that's gonna be hard, harder than those that are extroverts. But Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us with that because we need to model that to a lost and hurting world. And we need to include them in our family, the family of God. We give you thanks and praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We all said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, if there's something you just feel like, hey, I just need a little bit more prayer about that. I just want to let you know our prayer partners are here. Don't leave if you need a little bit more prayer. And hey, guess what? You get a great opportunity to be in unity with somebody on the patio today. Because on the patio today, the P is picture. So pictures on the patio. So you could be in a picture with somebody else, even somebody you don't even know. So just grab somebody you don't know and take a picture with them and start this idea of being in unity with one another. So pictures on the patio. So go take some memories, hang out on the patio for a bit, take some pictures together and uh, be in unity together. All right, have a great morning. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.